This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing Grace for another week, the beginning of a new year, 2023. Wow. Yes, and uh, where were you on New Year's Eve, New Year's night? We had the um, privilege of actually being at a prayer meeting, which um, honestly I thought I was going to stay maybe at the max a couple of hours, but... um, yeah, just uh, we enjoyed it so much that we um, saw the new year and it was great to be with friends and be praying together. And uh, yeah, it was just a really new experience for me. So today we are back in the studio at Amazing Grace and uh, so I'm joined today by Dennis and he's going to share some insights into the uh, word later on, but let's start by just sharing with you that here at Amazing Grace, we do have a couple of free giveaways, and the book Steps to Christ is one of them, and the other one you can find by checking out local takeaways and it's a signs magazine a magazine that's full of articles punchy short articles on health and the family and uh, issues we face in life every day and also here at Amazing Grace we would love to um, hear from you your feedback or questions we we don't have all the answers but God um, does and not always does he answer our questions straight away. But if you have a question, um, you can text us. Or if you have a prayer request or you'd like us to pray for you or a friend or family mem- be- member on or off air, you can contact us at info at mpr.nz, info at mpr.nz or text O double two six eight one five two one six. Now I'm just wondering if I can ask Dennis to say our uh, opening prayer for us. Father in heaven, we <coughs> thank you for life. We thank you for um, you making us. All the Bible says it's your will that you made us, and um, because Adam and Eve chose to rebel, you came to redeem us and you have brought us back and we just thank you Lord that (coughs) 
You're for every person. You want all to be saved, the Bible says, none to be lost. So we pray for the listeners, Lord, and um, may you be close to them and um, just guide as we share a few thoughts here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dennis. Right, so new beginnings, the beginning of a new year. And I'd just like to um, share some thoughts that... uh, been uh, reading um, for a short devotional and it's interesting um, New Year's resolutions um, this uh, some thoughts from Nikki Grumble who is the author of the Alpha program a really good program coming to getting to know and staying a Christian and um, he said that he belongs to a squash club, um, that's also a gym, and he said each year on the 1st of January they bring in extra gym equipment. The place is packed out, so everybody's, heaps more people come. But by about seven days later, 7th of January, they move out all the extra equipment as most people have given up their New Year's resolutions, and the club returns to normal. Get fit, lose weight, reduce drinking, stop smoking, get out of debt. There's nothing wrong with making these common New Year resolutions. Of course, all of us make resolutions that we vow to keep. The good news is that each year is an opportunity for a fresh start, and then so is each week. And every beginning of each new week, each Sunday is a new beginning. And even each day is an opportunity for a new beginning. And the first three words in the Bible are, in the beginning. And yeah, um, the verse that has been speaking to me is Matthew 6. 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. And been looking at um, Psalms and in the Passion Bible, so I've decided I'm going to read through the Bible in this year and um, following a plan that will help keep me on track. And I really like the title in the Passion um, Bible, um, Psalms, and then Underneath the subtitle, Poetry on Fire. I just love that. And um, so the first the first chapter is, is finding delight in God's word. So that is one great resolution that um, I'm asking God to help me to keep, to put quality time into seeking him at the beginning of each day. And so, you know, what does seek first the kingdom of God mean? It means putting God first in everything. And the only way we can do that is by putting him first, um, spending quality time, putting our efforts there at the beginning of the day before everything else so that And when it comes to all the rest of the day, God will help us because in our own strength we can't do it. 
but with him nothing is impossible. So I challenge you to seek first the kingdom of God this day and uh, this year. And God promises that um, if we do that, he will embrace us and walk with us. And this psalm, Psalm 1 says, um, the purpose, it's all about the purpose of learning how to live with God in first place. And yes, so let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, we ask that you will um, burn it into our whole being that you want us to seek you first. And the reason that you ask us to seek you first is because you sought us first. You put us above everything, above all else. Like a rose trampled on the ground, you took our punishment. You took our falls, our mistakes, our sins. And you went to the cross and you thought of me and those who listen above all as if there was no one else. You put us first. So help us to put you first, seeking you first today and each day this new year. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, now we're going to have a uh, the blessing of a song.
Yes, a great song by a very powerful singer, David Meese. Follow the man with the nail scars in his hands. Right, so now we are looking at our health tip for the week. And we've been looking probably for a couple of years, I'm amazed, at a little book called Live More Happy by Dr. Darren Morton. And um, just sharing some snippets out of here each week. And uh, just a, a little recap. So this book is all about the limbo. And you say, what is the limbo? Where is our limbo? Talking about the center of um, emotions in our brain, the limbic limbic system and um, Darren Morden has just nicknamed it lim, uh, the limbo for short and the the limbo's main role is the um, as I said the brain center for emotions and the uh, feeling is it its core business and mood, its main role, and uh, yeah, just how powerful this little part of our brain has on our whole, our whole well-being, or not. And so, we are up to uh, the section that is all about stress and stressing less, is what it's called, and. We uh, have looked at so far some of the tips for stressing less is speak, speaking positively, moving dynamically, exercise, um, immersing ourselves in an uplifting physical and social environment, and looking to the positive, and eating nutritionally and resting well, and just a little bit of... Um, on the eat nutritionally, in case you haven't noticed. Now, he's been talking about zebras, and so he's going back to the um, the thought of zebras. What do zebras eat? Nothing but high-fiber foods. It's called grass. And um, the doctor, Morton, is not saying that he's recommending we eat grass, but um, as back in Chapter 7 there's evidence that eating a diet, there's a lot of evidence that eating a diet rich in plant foods helps with managing stress. Isn't that interesting? What we eat helps us to manage stress or not manage it. Unfortunately, these are often not the kind of foods people reach out for when they're stressed. (laughs) When was the last time you heard someone say, I'm so stressed that I could eat an entire head of broccoli. (laughs) I don't think we're ever going to hear anybody say that. Instead, we turn to comfort foods like desserts. Whole plant-based foods are better for that. So follow the zebra's zebra's lead, sort of, he says. Yes, a plant-based diet helps with managing stress. Rest well, another thing that will help us manage stress. When it comes to resting well, there are two lessons we can learn again from zebras to help manage stress. The first is 
to get enough sleep. Which was the topic of the previous chapter. Given there are no stories of zebras taking sleeping tablets, it's probably safe to say that they sleep well, even if not as long as humans. We should endeavour to do likewise to manage our stress levels. But there is another aspect of the life of a zebra that probably helps them rest from stress. Zebras are in touch with the natural rhythms of life. They flow with yearly cycles. The seasons dictate their migratory behaviour. On a more micro level, they are in touch with the daily cycle. They watch the sun come up, peak and then go down. There is something connecting and calming about being in tune with these natural rhythms. And yes, it is really... um, it is really great to be able to watch the sunrise, and we've had that privilege um, recently. Yeah, we've been doing quite a bit of time out in uh, in in the the bush in the uh, ranges. Uh, I've been down at Nelson Lakes, beautiful area there, just magic. All the treasures God's put out in the native. Um, bush and also just last week we've just come back from five days in the Rohini's and got to see the sunrise from a hut called Sunrise but there is something really good he's saying about being in tune with the natural rhythms of life and uh, my husband would like to say something Yes, I, I was just um, I was just listening to a tape about the fibre Fiber, uh-huh. and how you <coughs> how you can tell whether you've got enough fiber in your diet, and um, <coughs> it's how you tell is by your waist, right? So <coughs> when you go to the toilet, um, the waste that comes out of your body, if it floats, that means you have enough fiber in your diet. If it sinks, you haven't got enough fibre. So that's a simple way to tell, isn't it? Very simple way. I thought that was um, very good. Mm. And um, some professor has um, come up with that idea. I can't remember the name mm. of the guy. So just Dr. that Dr. thought Beckett. on the fibre business. Because right? mm. fibre is really important. Mm. And all animal products, all animal, dairy, um, meat, all meats have no fibre whatsoever. Mm. It's only the plant base, whole grains mm-hmm. that have the fibre, mm. not the desserts, mm. <laughs> unless they're healthy desserts. Mm. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm. 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 Thanks, Dennis. So you're getting um, back to these natural rhythms. There's good evidence that humans also benefit from another rhythm of life, the weekly seven-day cycle referred to as the Circaceptin rhythm. Unlike the day, month and year, which are determined by the relative positions of the sun, moon and earth, there is no cosmological rationale for a seven-day cycle. But humans seem to respond well to a six-days-on and one-day-off cycle. Throughout history, governments have legislated 
different weekly cycles, France and Russia being notable examples. But we keep coming back to a seven-day circaceptin rhythm or cycle. It it does it just seems to work best for us. Humans tend to display circus. This is a tricky word for me to say. Circaceptin rhythms in their health behaviours and outcomes. For example, heart rate, blood pressure and immune responses fluctuate during the week, leading to predictable weekly variations in heart attacks, strokes and the contraction of infectious diseases. In a fascinating study, researchers examined the death rates of Jews over a 10-year period and found a distinct circaceptin cycle in which death rates dipped on their Sabbath, which is Saturday, which is their holy day. The premise of Sabbath is to take an entire day off each week. The Jewish Sabbath extends from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, from work and the busyness of life to celebrate, prioritise, balance and nurture the truly important things in life, including health, happiness, relationships, connectiveness and spirituality. The researchers titled the paper Death Rates, sorry, Death Rests a While, But the results of the study indicated that it wasn't just the act of resting that had the death-defying effect. No dip in death rates were observed observed on other holidays that did not coincide with the weekly six days on, one day off cycle. Other studies have also shown health and well-being benefits of Sabbath adherence. Yeah, so just some thoughts there, and uh, yes, leave those thoughts with you, and uh, yes, we're going to have another song now, and if I can get my head around the buttons, been a while, (laughs) here we go.
Amazing Grace program. We're now up to uh, Dennis and his section on looking at the Bible and looking at the end of the world crisis, is what Dennis is saying is going to be happening. But first of all, we'll just have our ad break. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. So, yes, welcome. Um, You're listening to Amazing Grace. And just a reminder about... uh, that you can contact us here at info at let's check got the right email address. You can contact us any questions, any comments, info at mpr.nz and the cell um, that you can text is O double two six eight one five two one six if you'd like um, prayer for yourself or a family member and also the book um, is a free giveaway. Steps to Christ, and if you look at the local takeaways, you can find a Signs magazine here in the Manawatu, Palmerston North area. So now over to you, Dennis, talking about the final crisis of this world. Yes, well, it's great to be with you. It's great to be with you. Um, um, For us, it's the new year. This won't be the... Um, first program that would be played for the new year, but um, this is the first program that we are recording for the new year, and <clears throat> none of us know um, what this year will bring. You know, you think back to 2019, um, the beginning of the year, we had no idea uh, what was going to happen in March uh, with COVID, how it affected the whole world. So none of us know, you know, and things can happen quick and can change. They're talking about a recession. Um, so time will tell if that is true. But... Um, We've been going through the book of Revelation and uh, just sharing a few thoughts. And now we're up to um, Revelation 13. I talked about it last time um, and uh, read some verses from the Bible. And now I I just want to give you an overview of what the Bible says about this crisis. Now we are looking at the... um, the final crisis of the world, which is Revelation 13 and 14. Now, this is the high point of the final drama. The final drama. It's the Antichrist chapter because he goes to get help. Um, he stands on the um, he stands on the sand of the sea, and he gets help from two beasts. 
So this three there, this the dragon, which represents Satan, and then the beast, and um, the beast that comes out of the sea, and the beast that comes out of the earth. Now these are all symbols, of course. So um, Jesus talked about this. Um, now this is going to bring a time of trouble such as never was, and it will bring the end of the world. Now I just want to read just what Jesus said. Um, and this is in Matthew 24, and he says, verse 21, 22, For there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world unto now, and never to be equaled again, right? If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect... Those days will be shortened. So it must be pretty bad when you think of the Second World War. Um, you think of the Nazi death camps. You know, all those people killed. You think of what happened in Russia with Stalin. Stalin is responsible for killing people of around um, 40 million. And the highest number I've heard up to 70 million. That's a lot of people. So... It's going to be worse, possibly on a global scale. We don't know, but it's a time of trouble. Now, the issue will be all about worship. And I just want to, when you go through Revelation 13 and 14, we're just going to read some key verses that talk about this worship. Now, um, Lynette's going to help me, and I'll start with verse 4. And then, Lynette, if you could read verse 8. And um, we've got some other verses there too. So I'll start with 4. And now just see this repetition about worship. And so they worship the dragon. Now, Revelation 12 verse 9 says the dragon is Satan. They worship the dragon, right, who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war against them? Now, are you right, Lynette, to read verse 8? Yep. So we're looking at Revelation 13. Verse 8. Verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Right. So it says there that all who dwell on the earth, that means those who are not born again, those who are um, not God's children, will worship this beast whose names have not been written in the book of life. Everyone except those people. So see the issues, worship, worship. So... Um, <clears throat> Now, this is counterfeit worship. Now, I'm going to read verse 12, and then I'll get Lynette to read, um, if you could read verse 15. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read 12. And this is talking about the beast that comes out of the earth. He's got two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. We'll talk about that another time. So he exercised all the authority of the first beast in in his presence, he caused the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. 
Right, so verse eight, uh, 15, sorry. And he was granted power to, to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So see the repetition there of the word worship. One, two, three, four, five times in that one chapter. And it's all um, force worship, because if you don't worship, you're going to be killed. right? And it's for everyone. Verse 16 says it's for the great, the poor, the free, the slave. Right, so it's for everyone. So this is going to be a worldwide movement, and we don't know when it's going to happen. But this is the final crisis. Now, when you go into chapter fourteen, you have God's response to this. Um, the first five verses is talking about those who are saved and they follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and then you have three angels flying in the midst of heaven. So it's some symbol of a urgent message. And it says there, verse 6, they have the everlasting gospel preached to those who dwell on the earth. The gospel is the only way that we can be saved. And it's for every nation. So what is it, over 250 nations on the earth, tribe, tongue, and people. Same with a loud voice. So this is going to be a loud message. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Well, the threat of judgment, which is Revelation 16, the plague's been poured out. So the hour of his judgment come and worship him. Worship him who made the earth, the sea, the springs and water. See? So God is saying, worship me. Don't worship the dragon. Don't worship the beast. Right? Then in verse 8 it says, um, 8 to 11, it says, and another angel. So this is the second message. Followed saying, Babylon. Is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because he, um, because she has made, she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Right. So this is false, false religion being forced upon people. And then the most fearful warning in the Bible, it says, Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstones in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torments ends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship. See there the word worship again? Worship the beast, the image, and receive the mark in the, in the name, uh, the mark of his name. So, so there you have it. You have Revelation 13, there's false worship. If you don't, it's going to be death. Right? You won't be able to buy and sell, and then later on, death decree. In Revelation 14, if you worship, no, a call not to worship. So that's the crisis. That's the crisis. And then you have um, Revelation 14, verse 14 to the end of the chapter 20, which is the harvest. So this is the end of the world. 
the end of the world, the harvest at the end of the world. Now, Jesus told a really um, a simple story to explain this in Matthew 13. Now, I just want to read this. It's the, the parable of the weeds or the tears. Now, Jesus told them another parable, and I'm reading from verse 24. And the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man sows good seed in his field. Right, And then one night, when everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the plants grew and the ears of the corn began to form, then the weeds showed up. Then the man's servant um, came to him and said, Sir, we um, sowed good seed in the field. Where did the weeds come from? It was some enemy who did this, he answered. Do you want me to pull, uh, go and pull up the weeds? They asked him. No, he answered, because as you gather the weeds, you will pull up some of the wheat along with them. Let the wheat and the weeds both grow into the harvest. Then I will tell the harvest workers to pull up the weeds first, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and then gather in the wheat and put them in my barn. So that's the parable. And when you go down to verse 36, Jesus explains. Um, When Jesus left the crowd and gone indoors, the disciples came to him and said, tell us, what's the parable about the weeds um, in the field mean? And then Jesus answered, The man who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, this world. The good seed are the people who belong to the kingdom. Now the weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who sowed um, the weeds is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvest workers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered up and burned in the fire, so the same thing will happen at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and gather out of his kingdom all those who cause people to sin and others to do evil things. And they will be throw, throw them into a furious furnace and there will be crying and grinding of teeth. Then God's people will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Listen. See, listen, he says, then if you have ears. So Jesus explained it quite simply, didn't he? Um, Lynette, you just tell me when we should have a break um, and have another song. So the, the, the question is, to be forewarned, is to be forearmed. So what we're trying to um, share with you is the crisis at the end of the world. Right? So to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Now what we're saying, does it have the ring of truth? That's the important thing. Now how we will know um, is... See, Jesus told his disciples again and again that he was going to the cross. But they it wasn't in their thinking. You know, there's lots of people in this world have all sorts of different understandings about prophecy and um you know um but it's good to look at the different options. Now what we're saying 
um, that is coming across as over worship. Now, in John fourteen twenty nine, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. You will believe. So I have told you now. So Jesus was telling them about the cross um, and uh, what was going to happen. So when it happens, you will believe. So we're trying to do the same thing, you know. And the Bible is abundantly clear that God knows the future. And for those who listen, they are forearmed. Now, the issue, like I've shown, is all about worship. Now, there's many examples in the Bible. Now, the first crisis with the first family was over worship. Abel did what God said, right? Cain brought the fruit of his works. He brought the fruit of his works. Abel's was the sacrifice of faith. He did what God said. But Cain brought his works, the best of his crops. See, both of them were religious. Both of them were religious. It's like the Tower of Babel. They were trying to make a tower to heaven. Very religious, wasn't it? Making a tower to heaven, right? But it wasn't the way that um, people can be saved. So the last crisis is over worship with every family in the world. Every family in the world. Um, So the first crisis was with the first family over worship and the last crisis will be over worship with every family in the world. So we're going to have a break now and... um, and it's going to play another song. Thank you. Every hand that reaches out Every hand that reaches 
It's a lovely song, I like that. Testify to God's love. Yes, the Bible is a wonderful book. We have a wonderful God. So we're talking about the final crisis. Now, this does, doesn't look possible at present, but I believe God's word that it will be so. It says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now, there is many examples in the Bible of this crisis over worship. Now, what the, the Bible does in the New Testament, it gives the principles, right? But the Old Testament stories illustrate what's going to happen. And I just want to go through um, a few, both in the Bible and out of the Bible. Now, we're not going to be able to... Uh, it'll be next time we continue talking about this. But one of the best examples is Daniel 3. Daniel 3, if you know the story, um, is about Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he was the king of Babylon. It was a powerful kingdom. He made an idol. He made an idol and commanded everyone to worship, to worship it. 
So he commanded everyone to worship this idol. He forced, it's forced worship. If you don't kill, I mean, if you don't, you're going to be killed. It's the same as Revelation 13. So here we have, in Daniel 3, we have a a political attempt to unite the nations by uniformity of worship. Now, let me read that again. Here we have a political attempt to unite the nations by uniformity of worship. Right, and I'm going to give you examples. It will have to be next time. Won't it, Lynette? We run yeah. out of time, don't we? Mm-hmm. Talking about such important subject, right, which is going to affect everyone on the globe. Everyone on this planet is going to be, you know, Today, you know, people are into sport and making a career and money is the big thing, isn't it? But in the end, none of that is going to really matter. Mm. Not one one bit. But what we're talking about here, this is going to really matter, mm-hmm. right? And we are either going to be saved and um, spend eternity with God and... Um, you know, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men and women the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Or we will be lost and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth because they'll be so disappointed because they've lost, they've missed out on the most important thing of all. So have I run out of time? <laughs> <laughs> A very important um Subject, yeah. So we're going to continue this next time, yes, because um, now is the now is the day. Now is the day of salvation. Keep our ears open, and uh, like Mary, treasure these things in our hearts and think about them and look into them deeply because it's happened before and it will happen again. God says. So, yes, from us here, um, from Dennis and myself, we pray that you will grow in grace. May the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you. God bless. Until next time. enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate.